You know, I, I pray and I think a lot about the messages that we do on Sundays, and I do pray and hope that these messages are a blessing to you, that it's a way of helping you think about God's Word and helping you think about the words that God is speaking to you. I oftentimes say that I hope Sundays is an experience where we come hungry and feel as if we are fed. I think during the congregational prayer time especially, I heard so many things that were going on in your lives, my life, and the life of many of our congregants here, and I think that this message is timely. I think we need to hear a message about peace, and I hope that this message about peace will encourage you during this season and beyond. In order to help us do that, I wanted to share a story with you. Uh, but before I begin that story, I want to share a song that many of you may know. I'll put it up on the screen for you. It's called I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Just by a show of hands, have any of you heard this song before? You'll be happy to know it's older than everybody in the room. <laughs> I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Their old familiar, familiar carols play. How about you say it with me if you know it? And while they speak, the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail, with peace on earth, goodwill to men. Well, for those of you who don't, do not know that song or that poem, it's a very famous one in American history. In fact, it was written by one of the most famous American poets of all time, Henry Longfellow. Now what's interesting about this song, and I think so many songs that really touched our hearts, is it did not come at a time of peace within this person's life. That even though the song sings out, peace on earth to good, goodwill to men, it actually came in a time of chaos, pain, and darkness. You see, this song was written in the middle of the American Civil War, during a time where our nation was divided by North and South over issues of human dignity and what it meant to be seen in the eyes of God. But even more than that pain of what our nation was facing, there was great pain in the author who wrote it. Specifically, this author, three years before writing this song, had lost his wife. His wife was working upstairs on a keepsake. He was she was taking locks of her children's hair and sealing them in envelopes. And while she was using sealing wax, somehow, mysteriously, her dress caught on fire. Longfellow, the author of this song, heard her screams coming from the room next door as he was napping. Mortified by the screams, he rushes out of his room in a panic to find that her dress is engulfed in flames, and so is she. 
So he takes a rug off the floor and begins to throw it on her to take out the flames, but the rug is not big enough. Not knowing what else to do, and out of the great love that he had for his dear wife, Frances, he smothers himself on her body in order to put out the flames. Eventually, all the flames are subsiding. But unfortunately for both of them, the damage has been done. His wife falls in and out of consciousness as she's suffering these burns all over her body. And by the morning of next day, at 10 a.m. after a request for coffee, she perishes. And sad enough for his own situation, he cannot attend his own wife's funeral due to the severity of his own burns throughout his body and his face. Forevermore he would grow a beard and it would be the way that he would be remembered because it was too painful for him to shave after the scars that he had on his face. Years later, while writing a friend, he tells this friend of the pain that he suffers, that it feels like every day in his life he's bleeding on the I wonder if you have ever felt that way. I think given some of the prayer requests that came in during our congregational prayer time, I would say probably, and maybe right now. But here we are over a hundred years later, and we're looking back at this song that was written at a time of great national pain and personal pain. And the question that I ask myself is, are times really that different? Sure, technology has changed. Sure, the landscape of our civilization has changed in some ways. But here we still find a nation divided, people in pain, people struggling with a word I would call peace. It is hard at times in life to be able to understand what it means to have peace. And I think so many of us oftentimes try to figure out how to find peace in life. And in the search of finding peace, we can end up feeling a lack of peace. That we can be brought to feeling feelings of depression and despair. But church, today I'm here to tell you that peace is not a circumstance. Peace is not a situation. It's not something that you can find in a bottle. It's not something that you can find through achieving a certain amount of success. It's not something that you can even find by trying to control your life in such a way that you eliminate all the variables that can chaos. Peace is not a place. Peace is a person. In fact, that is the big idea for today. Oftentimes I leave that for the end of the message, so don't be too tempted to leave now, okay? <laughs> 
But peace is not a place. Peace is a person. And part of celebrating Christmas, part of celebrating Advent, is discovering for ourselves that the Prince of Peace came into this world in order for those who did not have peace to experience it. That peace does not have to do with a circumstance, but a person. Far too often we think peace comes when all is well in our lives. I think to help prove this point, I'd like for us to look at the Gospel of Mark. So if you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn to Mark chapter 4. We're going to be starting from verse 35 and looking at a few verses forward from that. We do put the verses on the screen, but just as an encouragement to you guys, I always love it when and think it's a good thing to bring your Bibles to church. There's always something about being able to orient yourself with your Bible that I think is good. In my case today, I left my satchel at home. This is my backup Bible, so sometimes, hey, have a good We're going to be looking at the story of Jesus in the storm. Follow along as I read aloud. That day when evening came, he said to his disciples, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along, just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat, so that it was nearly swamped. Now, many of you have probably read this story before, and in fact, there's a few stories within Scripture that have to do with Jesus being on a boat or disciples being out in the water. So if you don't know the context of what is happening right now, Jesus had just finished a series of teachings with people, and there was crowds gathered around Jesus, and Jesus decides to tell his disciples, let's go ahead and cross this body of water to go to the other side. So they go into the boat, and while they're trying to cross to the other side, a squall, big wave starts to come, and there's a storm in their midst. Now, I find this story really interesting because whose idea is it for them to cross to the other side? It's Jesus' idea. And yet, in his calling to get the disciples to the other side of the lake, what ends up happening? A storm comes in life. A literal, physical storm. And I think that's important for us to understand because I think so often many of us think that the hardships and the pains that we go through are a product of our own doing. Now don't get me wrong, there are some things that we do that are a product of our own doing, right? We can create chaos in our own lives and we can make choices that make life more difficult. Talk to my wife. She could give you many stories of how I am able to create chaos out of almost any situation. And maybe you can say the same about your own spouse or friend or loved one. You can create chaos for yourself. But I think sometimes we also need to realize 
that because we live in a broken and fallen world, we are going to experience storms. So many of us think that the storms we face are a punishment from God. That God is, un- is not pleased with us, so therefore he is sending a storm to punish us. I think it's really important to note that it was Jesus' idea to cross the lake, and the storm came out of Jesus' desire to go to a different place. You see, sometimes a storm can come in your life when you are following God, and you are following His Word to the letter. It's important for us to know that because it's important for us to realize that when a storm comes, it's not always a product of our own doing. That it can just be a storm that comes in our lives. But how we handle that storm is so important. You see, if we continue to look at the story, what ends up happening within that storm? Well, it says in verse 38 there that Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Now, I still never understood how Jesus is sleeping on a storm. I'm still trying to figure that one out. But obviously, Jesus is in a state where he's sleeping, and the disciples are panicking as the storm is starting to crash and beat up the boat. Now, these disciples are not, they are used to being out on the water. Many of them are fishermen, so they're not easily scared when water conditions come up. If anything, they're probably the best group of people to be able to handle a situation like that. So we have to realize that the storm got bad enough to scare the disciples and bad enough to where they decided to go and ask for Jesus' help and in some ways accuse Jesus of what? Not caring. But you see, when we read this story, it's so easy to gloss through the story that we forget of the humanity that the disciples were experiencing in this moment. And what I mean by that is how we relate to the disciples. I mean, have you ever, in the midst of your own problems, accused God of what? Sleeping on the job. (laughs) Of sending you to a certain place to do a certain job, and then a storm happens, a situation happens, that comes in and challenges what you know and what you can do, and you're wondering why God is sleeping. I mean, I think that is something that we've all experienced, right? This feeling of God sleeping on the job. Of course, Jesus is not sleeping on the job. I mean, kind of, but not really. (laughs) But yet we struggle in that way, do we not? We struggle and we wonder, does God care enough? Does he see us in the midst of this situation? And I think that's something that we all relate to and can relate to the disciples with. We have those feelings of wondering whether God sees our problems, and maybe more importantly, if God cares enough 
to see us through them. You know, these disciples are confused by how Jesus is behaving. Now, I'm of the belief, I don't know this for sure, but I'm of the belief that whether the disciples woke up Jesus or not, that they would have ultimately been fine. Because God had a purpose and a plan for every single one of those people, especially for Jesus to do what he would do in the coming time. But yet, the disciples wake up Jesus. And I think this is important, and I actually think that this can be a missed opportunity for us to understand how to deal with our own problems. And that is, does Jesus rebuke any of the disciples for waking them, him up and for having doubts and concerns for the situation that he's in? No. We don't see anywhere in Scripture of Jesus becoming really upset with the disciples or, or telling the disciples to go away and let him sleep. But instead, what do we see in verse 39 here? It says that Jesus got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, Quiet! Be still! Then the wind died down, and it was completely calm. Now, I don't know about you, but that would have been amazing to see that. To see the waters, the skies, everything around them begin to change. And I think this is a reminder to all of us about who is in control. You see, oftentimes our storms can distract us from who is in control, right? We feel a sense of the chaos entering into our lives, and as a result of that, we feel questionable about who is in control. In fact, I think oftentimes what ends up happening is, is we try to control the situation ourselves, and then we realize very quickly, boy, we are not in control, and then from that, our fears and our anxieties grow, and then what ends up happening, we feel panicked and despair, and we wonder who is in control. You see, that is how human nature typically works itself out, is we fail to realize who is ultimately in control, church. And the question is, who is ultimately in control here? God. And we can never forget that. You see, we look at storms as punishments, when I believe in very many ways that this storm was planned by God. Why would God plan this for the disciples? Well, you see, the disciples would undergo so many more things than this situation. But this situation is a visible reminder of what? Who is in control? You see, the peace that these disciples needed to have could not come from a circumstance or a situation. You see, that is what we want to do. We want to try to control the world around us so that we can have peace. 
And oftentimes the way that we're tempted to feel is that if things are not going perfectly, then we do not have what? Peace. We lack peace. But God wants to build up in His disciples what? A fortitude to have peace regardless of the storms that they face. And they would need to lean on that through the years of their life. If you didn't know, all of the disciples other than one would eventually be martyred. And I believe that God was trying to build in them the kind of character to do what? To remember where their peace comes from. That their peace is not a product of their circumstances, but that peace is what? A person. And maybe that's something we all need to remember and be mindful of today. That peace is not a place, it's a person. Church, if you are going through a situation right now where you are lacking peace, where you think, where there is a literal storm in your own life, do not forget that peace is not a place. Instead of praying for the circumstance to change, pray instead that God would give you the strength to find peace even in the midst of your storm. Amen? Because sometimes, church, the circumstance doesn't change. And that is not God withholding His goodness to you. But sometimes what that means is God is calling you to do something greater. I do not know how I can make a difference in this world if I'm not willing to engage the world in its storms. And I don't know how you can make a difference in this world if you are not willing to engage the world in its own forms of darkness. You see, in order to be peace and to be the kind of person who offers peace to others, what do you need to do? You need to enter into the darkness. Make no mistake, the reason why we sing light of the world, the reason why we say light into darkness, is because that is the gospel message. That Jesus did what? He entered a storm. That is our lives. That is the world around us. He came into what? Into darkness. A light from Bethlehem. And in the same way, God is calling all of us to do that same but how can we do that work well if we as people do not have the sense of spiritual maturity to be peace to the world? If we as people are so controlled emotionally by our circumstances that we can never seem to have peace in our own storms. If you can't have peace through your own storms, how are you going to help others have peace in theirs? I don't want to pick on you, but I'm really grateful, Nathan, to hear that you are trying to help bring peace to somebody else who you know their storm very well. You know their storm better than I know their storm. And the peace that you have, because you've gone through the same thing this individual has gone through when, in regards to having to lose a limb, you know now how to help this person find peace. 
And make no mistake, that is the same thing that God calls each and every single one of us to. Which is changes the way that we should look at our problems, amen? Perhaps the problems that we have and the storms that we face are an opportunity to help others in their storm. Here's something that I do not know how I've missed this, even though I've read this story I don't know how many times. I've probably read this story a hundred times in my life. But let's look back at verse uh, 36 very quickly here. What does it say in verse 36 there? Specifically in the second sentence there. There were also other boats with him. There were also other boats with him. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that something that, I don't know about you, but at least it slipped my mind? There were other boats in this storm. There were other boats facing this storm. There were other boats going through the same amount of fear and chaos that the disciples were going through. I think that the Gospel writer, that Mark, included this in this narrative because it is a reminder to all of us on how our peace can bring peace to others. Amen? That when Jesus was prayed, that when, when Jesus was requested to calm the storm, that it didn't just calm the storm in the disciples' life, but it calmed the storms for what? For everyone. Church, this is exciting. We need to be the kinds of people that not only receive peace, but do what? Give peace. And this is the beauty about our faith, is that it is a faith that is an overflowing faith. You see, the reason why I want the Lord to, to, to pour into me and to not just pour into me, but for there to be an overflow in my life is not just so that I can be blessed in such a way that I feel happy in life, but rather so that I can pour out to others. Your peace is not something that you are supposed to pour. In fact, it's something that you are supposed to regularly give. Amen? And if you are holding on to that, one, you probably won't receive it, but two, if you do, it's always going to be limited. You see, we serve a generous God, and God loves it when we are giving people. And oftentimes, the more that we give, the more that we believe that we end up being able to receive for ourselves. Because we better embody God's character when we are generous and when we are sharing what He is giving us to others, which includes not just financial sharing, but sharing the peace, the hope, the joy, the love that we have inside of our hearts. So let this Christmas season be one that is marked with peace, let it be an opportunity for you to receive peace, but also give peace to others. Think of ways to be able to do that, because here's the thing, church. Many of us are prone to forget God's faithfulness in our lives. But this is why I always encourage you to come on 
counseling days, to read God's Word regularly, to connect with one another in the fellowship, because it's through those opportunities that what happens, that we are reminded about God's faithfulness. There are people in your life right now, right now, who need to experience and see the peace of God. We need to see that through the peace that you have with God. So church, can we commit during this Christmas season to not just fall into the commercial track of it all, but to fall into the reason why we celebrate Christmas and bring peace into this world. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the peace that you show us. We thank you that you are our peace. That even if we are in storms of life, that, Lord, you are the one that is in ultimate control. I pray, Lord, for those that might be experiencing some storms right now. I pray, Lord, that you give them the strength to be able to overcome I pray, Lord, that you help them see that, Lord, peace is not a place, but it is a person, and that person is you. Help us, Lord, to receive you as peace, but, Lord, help us to not stop there. Help us to give that peace to others. I cannot think of a better gift that this world needs right now than peace. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if you're here on this first Sunday of the month, it is a regular part of our rhythm to celebrate and practice communion. We take communion really seriously in this church, and I'm very proud of that fact. In fact, I'm so proud of it because this communion time is, is what? It's a time for us to remember what Jesus did for us. As I said in the sermon today, we as people are prone to forget God's goodness in our lives. And communion is another way for us to remember what? His goodness and love in our lives. So we practice this regularly in order to proclaim that to each other. So just to give you a little bit of instructions of how we practice communion here at our church, we practice something called open communion. And what that means is, is you do not need to be a member of this church to receive communion with us. However, if you have not put your faith in Christ, we ask that you withhold from taking communion. It's not because we don't want you to receive it, it's because we take communion to be a very sacred thing between us and God. If you would like to receive prayer, nonetheless, we invite you to come up still to receive prayer, even if you are not going to receive communion. You can let me know that you want prayer just by putting an axe over your hands. There is one exception. If you would like to place your faith in Jesus Christ and you've never done that before, I would invite you up to, to the table to receive communion as a declaration of your faith in Jesus Christ and what he accomplished on the cross. 
So at this time, what we're going to do is, is the ushers are going to come up. I'm going to invite Lydia up, Gloria, to help um, us with communion. And we're going to form a line down the center aisle here. If any of you have mobility issues, you can slip your hand up, and one of our ushers will make sure to bring communion to you. But what you're going to do is, is you're going to come up through the center line here, and you're going to take your communion elements back to your seats with you, and then we're going to take communion together as a church family. So feel free at this time, Barb, if you don't mind playing the piano, to come up at your own time to receive the
before Jesus gave his life on the cross, he enjoyed a meal with his disciples. It was a special meal, a Passover meal. It was one that the generations before him had done in remembrance of God's goodness. Specifically, that God passed over the people of Egypt, those that had the blood of the Lamb on their doorposts. Looking at that imagery, Jesus points to himself as the new lamb, as through his blood we would also experience life. That death would pass over those who claim to the blood of Jesus. So he took the bread before the disciples and he broke it, saying that this is my body given for you to take this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Let's take the cup. Lord, we thank you for your broken body and your poured out blood, that through it we have the forgiveness of our sins. And maybe, Lord, most importantly, as we remember in this season, the love and the relationship that we maintain through you. We thank you for what you've done for us. May we be
I hope and pray that you will be peace to others as you head out of the church today, that you will help others also receive what you have received today, whether it's through invitation to the church or just speaking a word into their lives. We do hope that you use those invitation cards, though, nonetheless, as a tool to help others be able to celebrate the Christmas season with us. As a way of reminder, we're going to turn off the stream now, and if anybody wants to talk, prayer, whatever it is, we're always at the altar in the front after our services. Until we see you next week, may each of you go in peace. Merry Christmas. Oh, and if you want to eat some food, you can go downstairs. Sorry about that. <laughs>